Welcome to the Daily Illini Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Jones, joined with Alec Bussey and Gabby Hajduk, as always. Unfortunately, Josh is sick right now and cannot join us, um, but we still got a lot of news to talk about. It's been a while since we've seen each other. Um, I guess last week was just pretty hectic with finals, um, so we weren't able to put out an episode, but we're back this week to talk about the the enormous, I guess, amount of recruiting news that uh, we've been able to consume these last two weeks, as well as um, a new staffer in Ashton Washington, who, um, Alec, I, I'm not sure her official title, but she is going to work heavily with the relations of um, high schools, um, which, I mean, obviously translates to recruiting, um, if I'm correct. She is, uh, I think, the most not the most important thing about it, but something that really shined was the fact that she's a black woman, which is super important to have that type of diversity. Um, I think the biggest thing about Illinois is they, they have a lot of black uh, coaches. And just to add another diverse piece to their, to their staff is, I think, in my opinion, probably helps with recruiting um, because all these black athletes that, you know, they're trying to recruit. Um, and it also just gives people opportunities, which is a great thing. Uh, guys, what do you think about this pickup? So her official title is Director of High School Relations. Um, it's in her bio. She is from Texas. Um, previously just worked with um, an XFL team. I'm not exactly RIP XFL. Yeah, RIP. That was a fun few weeks. But so I think he has an interesting level of experience. And I think to me, obviously being a woman, seeing a woman get hired in that type of position at a power five football team, it's just really important. And I think it just adds to just the diversity level, kind of like you were saying, Brendan, and it just, whether you want to believe it or not, like women bring a different level of perspective, a different level of ability to connect, whether that's with, you know, players, coaches, whatever. So I think it's awesome. It also just, you know, shows the type of program they're building, shows the type of coach Lovie Smith is. Um, So I think it's important. And I think she had said in her Zoom conference today with some media that she already has some plans and some ideas for in-state recruiting, which we, Illinois needs, Lovey Smith needs. They need all the help they can get with in-state recruiting. I know we've hit on that a lot. So if she's able to bring that in, if she has these ideas, and not saying that, you know, right off the bat, Illinois is rattling and Illinois recruits and Illinois commits, but I think if she can bring that in over time, I think the staff knows that that's still a weak spot. They know that. And as much as, you know, you will hear on Twitter, whatever, they're not trying. I'm sure they're trying, but I think they just don't have the proper connections. They don't have the proper relations relationships with some of these high schools in the state. So I think Lovey Smith and his staff had to have seen something in her that they think she can bring in a different set of ideas, a different perspective to help with that recruiting. So I'm really looking forward to see, to seeing what she does and to see what she can, you know, bring to this team and what she can add um, relationship wise with some high schools. I think it was a couple months ago that Lovey Smith had um, media availability after they hired Al Davis and Jimmy Lindsay on to the coaching staff. And I think those two hires gave Illinois the most um, minority assistant coaches in the country. And I think that Illinois' entire football coaching staff has more minority coaches on it than any staff in the country. And during that 
time with the media. I'm pretty sure Lovey mentioned something about how one day we're going to see a woman walking around the offices in the hallways of the Smith Center. And lo and behold, wait a couple of months and it happens to be true. And I don't know how much recruiting she can do because you can only have so many people that are out on the roads recruiting. And I don't think that her job description is going to allow that. But if she is allowed to communicate with high school coaches across the state and just kind of foster those relationships, I think that's a really important key position for her going forward. Um, obviously, I wrote the story a couple weeks, I guess it was maybe a month or two ago now, um, about just the relationships Illinois has with schools in the Chicagoland area. And Talk to the head coach at Chicago Curie and talk to the head coach at Plainfield North, two schools that Illinois was recruiting prospects at. And those two head coaches had mentioned that they don't really have a great relationship or any relationship at all with Illinois' coaching staff. And they are newer head coaches at their school, so that has something to do with there not being a huge relationship. Um, but just kind of fostering a relationship with high schools around the state is a big deal. Um it's very obvious that Illinois hasn't prioritized the state of Illinois as much as other areas um, across the United States when it comes to recruiting. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that they just don't get the reception that they would like from in-state prospects and in-state schools. Um, So hopefully this hire allows that to kind of grow a little bit and just improve the relationships with high school coaches in the state of Illinois, because do you is Illinois going to produce the same amount of talent that Texas, California, Florida, Georgia ever do? No, they're not. But it's going to give a good floor at certain positions. It's going to give you good offensive linemen, running backs, defensive linemen, uh, those type of players. Illinois generally does a pretty good job of producing. So if you're able to get a couple of those guys every single year at positions of need, that's a really big plus, especially when they're coming from your home and state core. And that's what I think Illinois is looking for. And they just need to rebuild those relationships right now. Yeah, definitely. I think that can be obviously where she's most impactful. Like Alex said, making those relationships. I mean, it's kind of surprising to me that Illinois doesn't have that relationship with like Curie and stuff like that. When, you know, that's, Obviously, coming from Chicago, that's them, Simeon. Like those are the two best football schools in the in the city. So, um, hopefully, that that relationship can continue to grow and continue to um, get bigger. But speaking of recruiting, we've talked about on this podcast a number of times how weak that twenty twenty one class is. Um, they did some stuff to strengthen it uh, these last two weeks with adding linebacker Trevor Moffitt and. Today, defensive lineman Sidarius McConnell. These are two guys that are both three stars, if I'm not mistaken. And they kind of just continue to add that base. I mean, we talked about it a lot that Illinois has, you know, the worst 2021 class in the in the Big Ten. They still do after these two um, these two additions. So they still have, you know, time to work. But what are you guys thinking about Trevor Moffitt and Sidarius McConnell? I'll hit on Moffitt first just because he committed first. Um He's a guy who didn't have any other Power 5 offers coming out of his high school in Bushnell, Florida. Um, That, to me, isn't as eye-opening or concerning as it might have been if it was August or September. Um, He had been communicating with Power 5 schools. What I really like about him is how athletic he is. He says he runs a 4-4-40. Sometimes when those are self-reported, they can be a little sketchy. So let's just assume it's sub four six, um, which is still really, really fast. He's really good at getting into the backfield and he's constantly making big hits in the backfield, whether it's on the quarterback or running back. Um, the one area where two areas, I guess, where I would say I'm fairly concerned with him 
one, he's a little bit undersized. He weighs about 195 pounds right now. Um, that's about 20 pounds less than Illinois wants him to be. They want him to be closer to 215, um, which is where most of Illinois linebackers are now. And they think he's going to be able to keep his high-level speed at that weight, which I think allows him to be pretty successful. And then the other area that is somewhat concerning um, is just the fact that he hasn't shown a lot in his film and pass coverage. And I don't know if that's exactly because he isn't thrown into pass coverage a lot in high school, or if it's because that's just not his assignment or he's not good at it. Um, There are a few where he shows some promise in terms of his pass coverage abilities. Um, So it'd be interesting to see how that kind of translates. I do think he's a guy who comes in, who could come in freshman year and play on special teams right away. If you're running a 4-4-4-5-40, there's no reason you can't be a gunner on kickoffs and just run down the field and hit someone. Um, and I think Illinois is also going to be in a position where they're probably going to add another linebacker or two in this class because you lose Jake Hansen and you lose Milo Eifler after the 2020 season. Um, so I think you're probably going to add a couple more linebackers. And if Moffitt is the foundation of the linebacker group that you bring in that's a pretty good foundation in my opinion and it's something that you can build around because he is versatile and because he's so athletic I think the biggest thing you just hit on obviously with Moffitt is just adding the depth to the defense that you don't really have you have you have a little depth but it's very young and inexperienced and you don't know how it's going to pan out obviously you have Jake Hansen and Eifler like you said but when they're gone it's kind of a lot of inexperienced younger players so I think you know you could see him on special teams but also if he just kind of takes the year to maybe even red shirt or just you know putting on muscle getting in the weight room putting on that weight I think he could be one of those guys where you see him have a more important impactful sophomore season just because your roster's full of younger defensive talent so who knows who's going to pan out at this point so you always have a guy like that who you know, you could see, you know, really putting on muscle, getting even quicker, getting more, you know, athletic and in tune with the system his sophomore year that I think, or his freshman year that, you know, he could end up panning out and playing a lot his sophomore year. But it just really depends on, you know, the depth of the Illinois defense, just kind of looking, you know, you have a guy like Kalan Tolson. He played a little. He's one of your more experienced younger guys, I would say. Um, You know, Shimon Cooper, whatever. So I think there's just a lot of guys who haven't had a lot of experience. So I think he can fit into that if he just bulks up and puts on the muscle. Yeah. Well, go ahead. I was going to say what's interesting about the linebacker group is that it doesn't have a lot of experience, but I feel like Illinois feels good about where it's at in terms of the future. Like – you mentioned Kalon Tolson. He played fairly well as a freshman, I would say. Um, Shimon Cooper's going to be a really, really good linebacker for Illinois. And he's someone like Moffitt who has a really lean build. Like when you see Jake Hansen, like Jake Hansen is big. Milo Eifler is shredded. Um, Shimon Cooper is lean and he almost looks like he's skinny, but he's not skinny and weak. Like Shimon Cooper's a very strong kid and he's going to be a really good linebacker for Illinois. And they're really happy they got a chance to redshirt him because it gives him another year of eligibility. It gives him another opportunity to play um, another year, and he's going to be a really good player. Um, Tariq Barnes is another linebacker who I think you see success potential there in the future. And uh, 
linebacker is not a group you have overly concerned about in terms of the players, in my opinion, just the depth going forward. And that's why the 2021 class, I think you see them add three, three, four linebackers at most, maybe in the recruiting class. Yeah. I think obviously back to Moffitt, like he's, I mean, you said four, four, you know, 40 speed self-reported obviously, but I'm looking at his Twitter and his pen tweet is, you know, him doing a windmill on an outdoor rim, which, you know, the heights vary, but like, and it, it, it's a uh, bounciest white boy in the land is the caption. And I, mm-hmm. I, I really love that. Uh, I love that type of energy, but um, you talked about how he's only 190. He's still a junior in high school. So like, obviously he has that two years, however many until, you know, they want him to start producing at the college level to build that muscle. So I think obviously he's going to be, especially if, if he keeps that athleticism, like he's going to be like a wild card, especially if he keeps getting stronger and, you know, we'll see what happens, but very, very excited to see. Sidarius uh, Battle today. That's another yeah. good idea. I think that, to me, of the three guys they've gotten in the last couple of weeks, Con- McConnell, Prince Green, and Trevor Moffitt, McConnell is the best of the three right now. In terms of his other Power 5 offers, he had Duke, Louisville, um, Minnesota, Pitt, Vanderbilt, SEC School, Wake Forest, and West Virginia. So he had other Power 5 interests. Um, three-star defensive lineman. What I really like about McConnell is that he has the ability to – he's listed as a defensive end, but he almost profiles more as a defensive tackle. So he's also versatile, and that's what I feel like Illinois done a really good job of in recruiting these kids is that they're just athletic and they have power five traits that allow them to play different positions, especially McConnell and Prince Green. Um, The immediate need is greater at defensive end – with four seniors graduating after 2020, but you feel good about Keith Randolph stepping in. You feel good about Moses Opaglas potentially stepping in, Seth Coleman potentially stepping in. Um, so you probably see him go defensive end, but maybe slide over to D tackle. I think he's a potential redshirt candidate, and not because he's not good, but just because Illinois has done a really good job of recruiting defensive linemen and at this point. You've gotten to a point in the program where you don't have to play redshirt. You don't have to play freshmen and sophomores. At least you hope you don't have to. You want to be playing mostly juniors and seniors, and that's what you're going to see this season. Um, and it is going to be a newer group of players in 2021, but they're all going to be juniors and seniors and a few sophomores. Like that's that's the positive about this is that you're seeing the foundation of all of the different recruiting classes come together and you don't have to play freshmen and sophomores anymore. Yeah, I think the thing you kind of mentioned is just him being able at, you know, short term looking at DM position, but long term looking at D tackle because, you know, after that 2021 class, you have four of those guys graduating. So I think if, you know, you have him come in, maybe redshirt a year or, you know, play a little at DM, then you can kind of have him watch, have him grow under um, those couple guys and then move to D tackle if he's, you know, more fit for that. But I think another thing to take out of him is just the recruiting aspect and recruiting um, different places. I mean, you have the defensive tackles coach, uh, Alfred Davis, who's from Atlanta. So I think you're just getting, you know, I know we've hit on the fact that Illinois doesn't recruit the state well, but you're getting, you know, bigger prospect guys from other states. At the end of the day, 
you're just getting, you're getting recruits, whether they're from Illinois or not, you obviously want those in-state connections. But I think the coaching staff as a whole has just done a tremendous job of, you know, recruiting where they have connections. Obviously they've recruited the South really well, which typically, you know, produces some really good recruits. So I think just looking at it from a recruiting standpoint, I think in the month of May in general, I mean, they've gotten a couple transfers too, in addition to these two 2021 guys. So I think you're just seeing the coaching staff continuing to branch out into some other states, you know, continuing to hit the South pretty hard and continuing to just work together. I mean, it's really cool to see all the coaches' Twitters kind of all they either tweet the gifts the siren whatever um and I think even Ashton Washington she um tweeted like the little siren emoji today which I thought was cool you know her kind of first go around but I think it's great to see the coaching staff just have such like a togetherness and have such a unity in what they're doing and I think that's gonna translate into more high school recruiting coming forward and not just hitting the transfer market yeah, I really love how they're all together in it. Like literally, like Gabby said, anytime they're about to get a recruit, just every time, like every single coach is in it. Um, and when you talk, to, like when you see what these recruits talk about, they're always like, "We like I picked Illinois because they're they're always checking on me. They ask me more about football, like all that stuff." And you can kind of see, I guess, from us like an outsider's perspective, that they kind of care about this kid more than football. Obviously, that's the that's the primary goal. That's like the underlying thing. But you know them everybody reacting on twitter everybody you know together and showing that it shows that they they you know they really you know cherish these these guys that they're trying to get no matter you know what they are they might not get that same experience as a three-star somewhere else so um i think that's kind of that's a refreshing thing about illinois recruiting obviously there's a lot of you know holes in it and faults but the fact that they can you know show these guys that they 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 care about them. I think that's a that's a base that they can build on as they try to recruit more and recruit better players down the line. I think they have a very like family sense about them. Yeah. I think we've talked about it before. Like Lovey Smith is like a very family guy. Like I think he does a which is hard right now, but I think he does a really good job of going into like a player's house and just like really connecting with the whole family. Obviously, you know his NFL experience helps a lot. But I think that's just what they present to you. They present to you that Illinois is a family, whether it comes to players, teammates, coaches, fans, everything about it. I think you also see that just from social media, not that every recruit likes getting tweeted at. And obviously it still pains me when like random people on Twitter are tweeting like rude things at recruits like that. But I think to see that, not that part, but to see just the fans getting super excited when, Someone commits every coach, whether it's offense, defense, getting super excited, you know, the Ric Flair gifts, whatever it is. I think as a recruit and even as a parent of a recruit, you see those type of things and you realize that like this team is a family, you know, they're still building, it's still building and they still need to recruit things a little better that you, like you said, there's holes, but I think you have that sense of community and family, which for a lot of even like three stars, some four star recruits, that's what is most important. Another thing that I feel like the staff deserves credit for, and it's something that I think we have all been critical on them about in the past, is potentially being too passive and letting things come to them too much and not go after things enough. And I think when we saw that the NCAA was 
extending the dead period that they're currently in, the staff quickly made adjustments and realized that like we're not going to be able to get kids to visit this spring or at least the early portion of this summer. And that's where Illinois really tries to hit it home, as they should. Visits are important because that's when you come in, you get a kid's real height and weight. You have him do various different things. You may have him run a 40. You may have him bench, whatever, just to like get that kind of sense. And you get to meet him. You get to meet his family. You get to know who a person really is. Um, as much as I like talking to you guys over Zoom, I much prefer talking to you guys in person. <laughs> Thank you. Alan. And it's the same thing for them when you're recruiting, right? And they've realized that they're going to have to make changes, I think. And that's why you saw a five-month drought of no prep prospects committing kind of end. And they've now added three um, in a pretty short time frame. And I think that they're going to keep this pedal to the metal kind of idea and try and just keep hammering home prospects because there's no reason they can't right now. And they have momentum. And this is where we saw Illinois really about a year ago, right? When they got Marcus Harper to commit and obviously ended up decommitting and going to Oregon. But you felt like you were really in a good spot with Mookie Cooper and AJ Henning and Reggie Love had just committed at that time too. Like you felt like you were in a really good spot and they didn't capitalize on the momentum they had. Obviously these three, four prospects, and this isn't meant to be a shot at these three, four prospects, but these players aren't as good as the players that Illinois was hoping to get in Mookie Cooper, AJ Henning. They're not that good. Um, but they are players that are going to elevate your program and just add depth. And that's what Illinois needs. And especially in a big class, you need foundation pieces. You can't just expect to hammer home a bunch of four and five star recruits, especially when you're Illinois, there's no reason that three star recruits, you can't build a foundation around that and add a couple of four stars later in the process. When you have a good foundation, they've changed. I think the staff has changed their mindset on this and realize we can't have kids come to Champaign and see the new, new facility. We can't have them see the weight room. We're not going to be able to meet kids or their families in person for the next couple of months. So let's kind of really start to hammer out on these zoom meetings, these virtual visits, um, all of those different things that come into recruiting someone when you can't have them visit and they started to put pressure on kids and it's worked and they've gotten commitments. So how many do we think we're, they're getting another one in May? I mean, May's been a good month for them. It's only May 20th. There's still 11 days. Is May a 30? Is May 31 month? It's a 30. Oh, so there's 10. No, it's one. not. No, it's 31. Okay, so there's 11 days <laughs> left in May. Sorry, we don't know. Our, we're we really in don't. Still. I don't know what day it is. Me neither. It's like Thursday, Tuesday at the same time, whatever. So, month of May, 11 more days left. One, two, none. What are we, what are we feeling? I think I'm feeling one really, more. I'm feeling one more. I think you could really see them push for an in-state offensive lineman. I think that they really probably push pretty hard for um, Alan Cruz's little son, um, who plays at Loyola. He's a center. He's not ranked really, really highly. Um but he would be a really good foundation piece. And he is something that if they want to get it done, they can probably get it done. I think that it comes down to whether or not they, they agree to that because I think if I really pushed it, I think they could probably get it. So you're saying one more. I think they probably get one more if they want one more this month. I think they want one. Um, Brendan, you're <laughs> I'm sticking with Alex. I mean, I mean, Alex, so sorry. Uh, we talked about, 
you talked about the momentum and if they capitalize on it, there's no reason that in the next week and a half, they can't get another guy. Um, especially if they try to get this kid from Loyola that you're talking about, who isn't, um, a highly touted recruit. There's no reason that Illinois can't capitalize on an in-state recruit. That's not, you know, highly ranked. So I'm saying one, um, hopefully two. I don't, I mean, you can't really. Two, three. Sure. Well, like, why not? Keep them coming for this 2020. They'll still be in second to last place, but like, who cares? Let's get over Indiana. That's the goal. Let's get over Indiana. Let's be the second to last. Another one to keep an eye on is Leo Blackburn. He's also from, uh, the same school as Sidarius McConnell is, um, Westlake, I think is the name of it. He plays tight end. Um, he's a three-star kid. He has a lot of similarities to Lou Dorsey, like just like the way they play. And like, obviously Lou Dorsey didn't work out at Illinois long-term, but like he had a pretty good freshman year. He had over like 350 receiving yards. Um, and the way tight end is used now and the way Rod Smith wants to use tight end clearly is someone who can catch the ball out in the flat or down the field. Um, You see that with Daniel Barker a lot. And Luke Ford is a great blocker, but he also has the ability to go downfield and catch the ball as well. So Leo Blackburn is someone else who you could maybe see commit by the end of the month, but I think he probably lasts a little bit longer. Definitely. Well, moving on to the transfers that Illinois got um, these past couple weeks, we have safety from Louisville, Treshawn Smith, and then D tackle from uh, Cal. I'm trying not to butcher his name. We went over this, but Chinodu Odago. Chinodu Odago. That's that's how we're going to say it until somebody says it differently. Um, But these are guys that are grad transfers, so are eligible immediately. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, And Alec, you talked about how, obviously we know how, how much Illinois really targets that transfer market. Um, They've already picked up guys. Uh, for these next couple of years. Alec, you talked about how you think, you know, this might be kind of – it might be slowing down. Um, do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I just think you've added seven transfers this offseason and eventually you run out of scholarships. Yeah. Um, I read somewhere that someone's personal scholarship chart for Illinois was at 86 scholarships and there's only 85 available for a football program to have. I think that was Jeremy Werner who did that. Um, so – that means that either attrition is going to happen, they're going to take someone's scholarship, um, or a player transfers out or some sort of thing happens, if his scholarship chart is right. Um, but seven transfers is a lot. <laughs> I don't know if any of these seven that they've added this offseason are as exciting as the few that they added last offseason with the Josh Matabebe, the Trayvon Sidney, Wallaby Tiku, um, Luke Ford is in that conversation as well. Derek Smith, you can probably throw in that conversation too. Um, but it's a good group. It's a really good group of guys. I'm a, I really like Trishon Smith. I think that's a really good ad. Um, I think that he's a kid who adds versatility to Illinois' defense and will give them something that they probably haven't had um, in the last couple of years along with Derek Smith. And that's someone who you can trust to cover a – slot receiver like a Rondell Moore or a talented tight end. Um, and they need that because I only got torched in the middle of the field last year by um, slot receivers and tight ends. Just look back at some of the film. Like it's Dale Harding struggled in that area. Jake Hansen struggled in that area a lot too. And you hope that Derek Smith, someone who's a little bit faster, Trayshawn Smith, who's someone a little bit more athletic than those two players 
it gives them something more in pass coverage. And it also, I think it, Treshawn Smith, who I think will end up starting this year over Derek Smith at safety because I think he's just more talented. Um, he allows Sidney Brown to play strong safety, which is an area that I think he's better at. And I think it's easy to see that when you saw the how much better Sidney Brown played once Stanley Green came back and was healthy. And I know Sidney Brown was coming back from his hamstring injury that he suffered in training camp. Um, but Sidney Brown's better in the box than Trayshawn, than he is playing free safety. So I think that's good. It, it, it keeps Tony Adams at corner, which is good. And it just adds a piece that you don't have. And Trayshawn Smith is also someone who, in his two years of playing at Louisville, he had 70 tackles and two interceptions and a forced fumble. Like, that's pretty good for a young kid. And it's pretty good for Illinois, considering we all saw the problems they had with just, like, open field tackles. I think that was such a big problem for everybody. Like, I don't even have specific names because I think everybody, and I think Lovey hit on this in a lot of, like, post-game press conferences that, like, okay, you're getting these fumbles, interceptions, like, you know, playing Lovey ball, whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, if you can't make those open field tackles, those simple tackles, those turnovers aren't going to matter as much because you're still giving those teams too much of an easy chance to capitalize on plays that could be limited to just a couple yards. You're missing those tackles. Now it's, you know, you're down the field, you're in their territory, or you score. You know what I mean? So I think just having a guy who is good at tackling, I think it sounds so simple, but I think it's one of the most important attributes to him. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I mean, they keep adding these grad transfers and, you know, hopefully something, you know, I, I like how Alec talked about how, how good he thinks Trayshawn Smith can be and how he work into that defense that already gelled a lot this past year, um, especially with, as Gabe was talking about, love you ball and, and, you know, being able to force a turnover. Now, if they can, you know, capitalize that into making stops, um, outside of just turnovers, that can be great. Um, and this defense can take that next step um, because especially early in the season, they weren't, they were just getting torched. So um, it's something good to see. I know transitioning, Gabby, I know you really, really want to talk about the last dance. Um, Why do you have to call me up? Well, cause you do, don't you? Well, yeah, but don't we all? I mean, yeah, but I know you really want to talk I about mean, it. If it were my podcast, we'd have already talked about Ben Russellberger. We're but we'll say that for then. <laughs> but yeah, no, I wanted. I know the three of us have all been contributing to the Daily Line as like last dance um, reactions. We've kind of reacted to every week of episodes. This past weekend was sadly the last two episodes, nine and ten. I know I cried a little. I don't know about you guys. Really cry? Yes. The there. Her. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I thought you were gonna cry like that. It was over. No, I cried about. That's fair. That's I teared fair, up yeah. a little deep hurt. Um, I don't know if I shed tears, but the tears were welling. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. I kind of just want to talk about like our final reactions. I think the more I talk to my parents about it, it's just like interesting, like our perspective. I think because we didn't grow, we didn't actually grow up watching him like our parents did. Like they grew up in that era. They were able to watch all this stuff live. And while I'm sure they all learned a ton of stuff because there was just more behind the scenes and, you know, we got to see 
a lot of insight to every player. But I think as far as our generation and our age, just interesting to see, especially for me, that level of basketball. I mean, not that the NBA is not at a high level now, but it's just different, I think. And to me, I finally, like, understand the like when people get like really passionate about the who's the goat debate Mm -hmm. I think it's Michael Jordan after watching that I think I like finally understand what made Michael Jordan so great and it wasn't just like all the fancy shots and the game-winning shots that he always seemed to have I think it was just the true passion he had for the game and just the competitiveness I don't think there's another athlete right now that is as competitive Michael Jordan and he was almost competitive to a fault at times I think but I think just the way like it was never about winning for Michael Jordan it was about winning to prove this person wrong because this person looked at him wrong because so-and-so said 45 wasn't 23 I forget who said that Nick Anderson how dare you forget that how dare you forget that (laughs) I'm sure Nick Anderson wishes he could forget that they won this I think so too but I think just seeing the way that every little thing made him this much more competitive was just so interesting to see because you got every athlete's competitive and you know, you're LeBron James, you're Katie's, they're all super competitive. Otherwise they wouldn't be at this high level, but Michael Jordan just added this different layer of what it meant to win, what it meant to get to win, what it took to win. And I think the whole idea of him saying people are going to see me as a tyrant, blah, blah, blah. That whole quote at the end of episode seven just, like, shook my world. Like, it gave me the chills when he was, like, tearing up and stuff. I mean, I don't know how you guys felt about the whole thing, but that's that was kind of my big takeaway was, like, really realizing what Michael Jordan meant to the game of basketball and what he just what, – what winning meant to him and what a competitive nature meant to him. For me, I just want to focus on how great the storytelling of the entire docuseries was. The moment to me that I think sticks out the most is at the end of the 10th episode when they're focusing in on his last famous shot against the Jazz in Game 6, the game-winning shot. They very easily could have just focused on the shot and not focused on the steal that he had before that and not following his correct defensive assignment and staying on the weak side and knocking it out of Carl Malone's hands and then bringing it up and everyone on the entire Bulls team knowing that and the jazz and everyone in the world knowing that he's taking the shot, like who the hell else is going to take the shot? <laughs> um, but it, it, I think that is why the documentary was so good was because it told the entire story. It didn't just tell the part that everyone remembers. And that's what makes docuseries so good and so interesting is they tell the entire story. It, another example is the Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr thing that you said you'd hear it up about, Gabby. Um, you know, seeing the – they could have just focused on Steve Kerr's shot and Jordan saying, hey, if they do this, Steve, be open because I'm going to dish it to you. Um, and, yes, they focused on that. But that wouldn't have had the weight it did in the ninth episode as it did because you focused on – Steve Kerr's childhood. You focus on Steve Kerr's dad passing away when Steve Kerr is playing at Arizona and how much that affected him and tying it into the relationship that Jordan and Steve Kerr had. And I know Kerr said that they have never talked about their dads passing away and being murdered. Um, But it's kind of like an unspoken relationship, you know? And I think they have that. And I think that really just adds the entire story. 
And that's what the documentary did so well was tell the entire story of every little detail that went into each episode. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I don't think there's anybody that watched it that couldn't like genuinely say, I don't care if they covered Michael Jordan his entire career. I don't care if they covered the NBA, whatever. They, I don't think there's anybody alive that could be like, I didn't learn something new from this documentary. That's how in-depth the 10 episodes were. That's how great the storytelling was. They went, they literally like would would talk about this stretch in 1998 and then go back just for like a stretch of games 10 years earlier to talk about that. So, I mean, there was so the storytelling was really good. There was so many things that connected back and, and, and forth. I think that you can make an entire another docu-series about all the times that somebody tried to say something to Michael Jordan and he proved them wrong. I would definitely sit down for another 10 episodes to watch that. Um, the thing that I'm most like interested to see, like how it continues, early in the docu-series, they talked about Sam Smith's uh, book, Jordan Rules. Um, and Michael said Horace was the snitch, Horace Grant. Um, and Horace, like to this day, is still like saying that's not true. Um, so I'm very eager to see like how that comes out. Of course, I don't think Sam Smith would ever say anything. I don't think we would like reveal our sources like that, especially a book that was that popular. Um, but that episode was really cool because it showed like how important journalism was. Um, and I think can still be, um, and it was just really cool to see, like, it's cool to see that, like, it's still sparking this, this debate, this who told Sam Smith what. Well, I think there's been a ton of arguments on, like, things Michael Jordan has has said, like, things mm-hmm. Scotty Pippen said. Well, I know I was talking about this yesterday. Like, I think the series did Scotty Pippen a little dirty. I think they just – I agree with showing the parts of him where he sat out at the end of the – at the end of the game, not showing up, whatever, because I think that does – provide context into how Scottie Pippen was back then. And I think that's important to see the faults, but I also don't think they gave him enough or they didn't hit on enough of what made Scottie Pippen this great number two, what made him great on the Bulls team. I don't think they, as like someone who didn't grow up watching him, I didn't see enough of the impact Scottie Pippen had on the court, the impact he had with his teammates, because you've seen on Twitter and articles, whatever, so many people come out and teammates or former teammates, players just saying that Scottie Pippen was like one of their favorite teammates. He was amazing. And I think they did focus a little too much on the things he did wrong. And I get that because sitting out in the last couple of seconds, because he wasn't going to get the ball, horrible look, horrible, horrible look as a teammate. But I just think you show that, but I think you also need to hit on what made him awesome and what made him help that team succeed. Because who knows if they didn't have a Scottie Pippen, would they have had six? I mean, they would have had some because Michael Jordan, but I don't know if you have six. I don't know if you have that same type of legacy without some of those glue guys like Pippen. So that's like my only complaint, I guess, is just I wish I got more like great Scottie Pippen. I agree with that. I think they almost did. They didn't focus on how good Scottie Pippen was at that time. I mean, like simply put, like Scottie Pippen drew every team's toughest defensive assignment because he was the best defensive player the Bulls had throughout that decade. And yes, Rodman was probably the best defensive player they had in the second three-peat, and he was definitely the best rebounder. Um, And Jordan was a great defender as well. Um, But Scottie Pippen was the best defender that those Bulls teams had. And he is widely considered a top 50 player of all time by most people. And if you don't have him in your top 50, whatever, I can't even name 50 people probably in the NBA and make a top 50 list. Like, yeah, I could, but like, whatever. Yeah. 
Um, they didn't do enough justice. I'm focusing on how good Scottie Pippen was because the docuseries was told through Jordan's eyes, um, not through the Bulls. It was told through Jordan. And I think that's prevalent by the fact of how much airtime in the interviews that Jordan got compared to other people. And yes, Jordan deserves more because Jordan was the face of the nineties bulls. But at the same time, like if you take out the Scotty Pippen episode, which I think was a second episode, I would be really intrigued to see the airtime that Scotty Pippen got compared to Steve Kerr. Cause I bet it was fairly similar. Um, the, the rest of the nine episodes. Yeah. And this isn't a shot at Steve Kerr, but Steve Kerr is nowhere near as good of a basketball player and was nowhere near as important as Scottie Pippen was. Yeah, on the night. He'd be the first to tell you that. <laughs> um, and, I, and I don't know how close the air times were, but I feel like it was fairly close, especially in the last couple of episodes. They were with Steve Kerr and put Steve Kerr on the screen a lot more than they did put Scottie Pippen on the screen. Mm-hmm. I think that they – I'm kind of conflicted because I think that they showed a great appreciation for him, especially in those two years that Michael Jordan took off um, – like obviously they made it a point that the bulls would not have been good in that first year if it weren't for Scotty. Um, and they also talked about him like toughing out the injury in the last game or whatever, even though they kind of slided him for that. Cause like, I guess there was some time earlier where he also had like an injury in the, in the game or whatever, in like a playoff game. I don't know. I'm forgetting, but um, I think like Alex said, like Scotty Pippen was a top five guy in the nineties just based on his talent. And I think out of the whole Bulls team, obviously like this whole, like who would translate better argument is like, you know, pretty hypothetical. But I think if you just place them in the NBA today, Scottie Pippen is the most transitionally better or like he's the one that transition transitions better to the NBA nowadays. But I think that I'm kind of conflicted on, did they give him enough appreciation versus like how much they slided him, I guess. Can we just talk about Scottie Pippen's hand size? Like when he was just sitting Everybody's. there. When he's just like talking, I, I was like, what? Like he is just a big, not like big, but like he is just Oh, like yeah, he's huge. like, yeah, like he's, like he's six, nine, long arms, big hands, great it basketball is, friend. I don't know. Something about like his voice. Like he's just, I don't know. I, I yeah, His voice like, is terrifying. Yeah. I Like if I, <laughs> oh my God, I would like shudder like if that no but I think the most enjoyable was Dennis Rodman I mean like he is insane insane but like in the best way possible like the last or um not the last one one of the first episodes you know when he was doing all those hand motions to like describe the like yeah and that to me was like okay this guy, he might be a little crazy. He might be a little sane. He's a little out there. But, like, the passion he has for the game, like, just the way he was describing everything so quickly and da-da-da-da-da, like, he truly understood those things better than anybody on the court. Like, rebounding, defense. Like, he understood every shot, every move incredibly well. And I think it was just – that specific scene for me was just like everything you need to know about Dennis Rodman. Like he's out there and he's a little weird, a little crazy, whatever you want to call it. But like at the end of the day, he was such an amazing basketball player and not in the way you would think with like scoring and offense and everything, just like 
being that guy that nobody else really wants to be. Nobody wants to be the guy who doesn't score. Like, he never scored, but he was so happy being that guy because, like, that's what basketball meant to him. So I think that's just that one scene really, like, embodied who Dennis Rodman was as a basketball player. Yeah, definitely. Um, Before we get out of here, Gabby, I know – I might regret doing this, but do you have any words on Ben Roethlisberger's new hype video that he that he put out that was probably, Everybody. in my opinion, the least – I was the least hyped up I've ever been watching you wanna know why, a professional Ben-Roth. athlete perform? You want to know why? <laughs> why? You weren't hyped up. A, you're a Ben Roethlisberger hater. I'm not a hater. It just wasn't that good of a video. No, you hate on Ben Roethlisberger all the time. Don't – oh, my gosh. Don't get me started. I'm trying to make this short. You're making it hard. <laughs> the only reason you did not enjoy it is because you're a Ben Roethlisberger hater. You're a Steelers hater. False. And you just want the Ravens to win the division. Bandwagon. Oh, yeah, that's – What's I say? That's true. Huge bandwagon over here. Brendan Jones. That's – I, I will ride for Lamar. I was that's such nice. a Lamar that's Jackson funny. fan coming I, out of I openly said – I like Lamar Jackson. If he was not on the Ravens, I would root for him. I can't. You're not going to root for Aaron Rodgers. We've been over this. Anyways, but to me, a Steelers fan, that was like opening a gift on Christmas and it's a puppy. Because you want to know why? Why? Everybody, everybody. Ben can't throw anymore. Ben's not throwing. Why isn't Ben throwing? He's still, he's not going to come back. He can't throw. He said he would throw. Oh, he threw he threw it you know what and he threw it threw it through it and it was oh just the beauty and then juju cut oh wow just like it really came together for me as like the Steelers are winning the Super Bowl this year don't at me on that one I'm watching it right now I'm putting money down on Steelers winning the Super Bowl and I said that on the line I drive Alec you know I thought I was gonna put my life savings down my dad's not letting me do that but <laughs> but we will be putting money down um, because the Steelers are going to win. So that's so, my take. Ben Roethlisberger is back. Revenge Tour 2020. Run it back. Let's go. In this video, he <laughs> threw two passes. We saw him throw two passes. Okay. And the receivers caught three balls. Now, there's no continuous shot of him throwing a ball to a receiver. So Conspiracy it theory, it wasn't Ben throwing the balls. You're so annoying. <laughs> I mean, obviously he can throw. He's a freaking no. NFL quarterback that's going to go to the Hall of Fame. Of course he can throw. But I'm just saying it was a bad hype video. Okay, you continue to sleep. You continue to sleep on Ben, sleep on the Steelers. For your Bears, the Bears aren't going to make the playoffs this year. Whatever. No, but they're going to get a top 10 pick. The Bears have to come and go to Nick Foles because their franchise quarterback did nothing. They're not mine. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, take a look in the mirror before you criticize me. (laughs) (laughs) End of story, period, point blank. I'm excited for us to watch the playoffs together with our teams not in it. Okay. No. I don't because you're being fair. You're being no, fair. I said I'm it. glad that you're acknowledging that mm-hmm. like your team is bad too, but my team's not going to be bad. Brennan, can I pose a hypothetical question to you? Yeah, of course. Gabby, no comment is needed. <laughs> Nor wanted. Brennan, put her on mute. 
play the Tony Reale card on around the horn and just mute her. So Yeah, he's on mute right now. She's going to be so mad, but go ahead. Okay. Would you rather the Bears go, let's say, 6-10, and 10, okay? Mm-hmm. Which is, like, kind of realistic. Like, their schedule is, like, kind of tough. They have no quarterback. Their offensive line isn't very good. Or you go 6-10 and 10 and get, like, the 10th overall pick in the draft. Or go 12-4, and four, win the NFC North, lose in the first round, and get bounced from the playoffs. It all depends on how good Mitch Trubisky looks in that 12-4 and four season. Because if he's, like – if he gets carried, like, the, if the defense is great and, like, the receivers – 2018 are, Mitch Trubisky. Nah, he has to be better than that. So I'm still going to – I still – like, he has to be – for me to ever switch my mind on – she unmuted herself. But for me to ever switch my mind on Mr. Bisky, he has to like show that he can carry the offense. He can't he doesn't he like he can't be carried by a like good skill players and a good defense. So if it's the same two thousand eighteen Mr. Bisky, the, the Pro Bowl Mr. Bisky, I'd still rather them go six and ten and somehow pray and get Trevor Lawrence. Okay. Can I just ask the question? No. No. <laughs> no, you cannot have a question. No, it's a valid question. So what happens if you go six and ten and you don't get Trevor Lawrence? Was it worth it? Like, what are you They're trying to get? Well, they would if they take her on the top ten and they would trade up. If they trade up and if they can't trade up, get like an old lineman or something. Better than like I can't get bounced in the first round again, especially if nobody's getting better. Okay, so this is this is like in my opinion, worst case scenario for the Chicago Bears. Okay, okay? they're good. Mitch has a career year. The Bears are forced to then sign him to a long-term contract, and he's not good Ever after been. this season. Because that's I think very that, possible too. And you know why that's possible? Because it's the Chicago Bears. <laughs> and Mitch is going to come out have a great year, or maybe because he doesn't want to get beat out by Foles. So then that yeah, that would be a really bad. It doesn't matter what really, he wants. The other really bad possibility too is. Bulls wins the job. Bulls plays really well, or like good enough to get an extension, and then he's not good. If this, if this front office is not going to be bad forever, if this front office is not preparing to draft a quarterback in the next year, I it is hard for me because for some reason the Bears and the Bulls have terrible front offices, and that's the worst type of team to root for. Ones that just like keep shooting themselves in the foot. But if they Stop. If they like, if they plan on signing Mitch long term to a deal that would like force him to be a starter, or if they plan on re-signing Nick Foles as anything other than a backup, like I seriously have to question my loyalty to the Chicago Bears. And I hate saying that because like it won't amount to anything. Like I'll still be a Bears fan at the end of the day, but I'll really question. I'm like, is all this worth it? I just, I seriously don't see either of them being long-term solutions. And I feel like oh, that's yeah. what every NFL – I feel like that's what every NFL, like, expert on Fox, ESPN, NFL Network is kind of saying and thinking is that neither of them are long-term solutions. And I think – I'm closer to thinking that the 2018-12-4 season was closer to a – like a bloop yeah. than it was that the Bears were actually 12-4 and four and they were good. And I think that that is why you see a lot of NFL experts putting them in, like, this – six and 10 or worse category because the defense is really good. The defense is good. It's great. And the defense can keep them in games only so much. If the offense 
can't stay on the field. The defense is going to get tired. It's going to get worn down. There's players on the defense who are getting older, namely Cleo Mack and Danny Trevathan are both getting older. So, you, like, match production might increase because you're not expecting him to get double teamed. But even, like, Hakeem Hicks is older. Yeah. Like, Robert Quinn is coming off of a career year. Like, I don't think you should expect Robert Quinn to be this amazing defensive end edge rusher opposite Cleo Mack again. Like, he did that for one year in Dallas. Like, right. I just don't expect – a lot of the players to keep having career years. And even on the offensive side of the ball, like Allen Robinson had a career year in 2019. Do I think he's going to do that again in 2020? No, probably not. So like all these people on Twitter saying like, hashtag send Allen Robinson. I'm not opposed to extending Allen Robinson because I think he's good. Mm -hmm. But if they pay him like an elite number one receiver, I got a problem with that because he ain't that good. (laughs) He's done it for one year. Like you got to do it over an extended period of time to earn that contract. And I think that the Bears – are closer to six and 10 than they are to being 12 and four. That's my whole thing is why I want them to not tank. Like I obviously want them to compete, but I wouldn't be mad if they're in a top seven pick because this defense keeps getting older. Everybody's keep getting older. So you don't know how long you're going to have this defense. So why would you just waste it on Mitch Trubisky, who you know isn't going to ever be elite when you could go get somebody who in year two might be good enough to lead you to the playoffs or better. That's another thing that I've posed to like friends of mine is like, and like, okay, like fast forward 2021, who would you rather the Bears have at starting quarterback, Trevor Lawrence or Mitch Trubisky? Trevor Lawrence. Exactly. And that's the answer that almost everyone gives. And it's really not a super hard answer to give. So like, I don't know. I, I don't think the Bears are going to win the NFC North. I don't, I yeah. don't really think they're going to make the playoffs. And I think the worst thing to be in sports in any league is stuck in the middle of, Oh, if we get one piece, if we get a quarterback, we're 12 and four. If we don't get a quarterback, we're eight and eight. That's the worst <laughs> is being in the middle because then you, you're not making the playoffs and you don't have a high draft pick. So you can't improve what you need. Yeah. That's the worst thing in any sport. I hope the Bears go nine and seven this year for you. Don't guys. say that. I hope you get that. Don't say that. Because I don't want nine and seven. Won't relate. You give me 13 and three, or you give me like four and. You guys are getting nine and seven. Market right now. What's the day? May 20th, 2020, 425. I'm saying nine and seven for the Bears and 13 and three for the Steelers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. 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 Check okay. back in in what? We'll check back months? in in week three when Ben gets moved to IR. <laughs> then we tank for Trevor. Cool. No, no, you're still going 13-3. That is I am the first to admit, if Ben is hurt this season, we will not be in the playoffs. It's simple as that. We, Duck and Mason are not playoff. I, I, I say that. I know that. But I'm saying Big Ben Revenge Store 2020. All right. All right. Cue the music. Cue the lights. <laughs> End the story. We're done. <laughs> And with that, I guess that'll be the episode. Thank you again for joining. Um, As always, for Alex, for Gabby, for me, this has been the Daily Atlanta Sports Podcast.